Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Leadership and Insurance podcast. This is your host, Alex Bond. Um, it's a super exciting week this week because this is the live recording of the flight series, uh, the Female Leadership and Insurance Technology event series. Now, we were hoping to do this in a face-to-face setting, um, but we didn't get the chance to do so. Um, but what we did get the chance to do was reach out and welcome more people um, to the live event, uh, which we held in a webinar format. Thank you so much for everyone attended, um, but I know lots of people weren't able to. So as a result, we thought we'd release the, the audio um, and video footage for you to um, consider. Um, we were very lucky to have an excellent chair, um, Caroline Language, um, who's the head of ACT Underwriting at Aon. We had Ines, the COO of Gaia. We had uh, Kaz, um, who is the CIO of Flock. Um, and then, unfortunately, we had me, um, who is the MD of FinPro. Um, great discussion about career opportunities in InsureTech. We're hoping to bust a few of the myths. We're hoping to open out those opportunities to more people and they feel more welcome. Um, and we just hope it was a good conversation. Um, we'll include details of all the guests if you wanted to reach out. Um, I know both Innes um, and Kaz uh, said that there was career opportunities right now at both Gaia and Flock. So reach out to those guys on- online. Um, hope you enjoy this conversation um, as much as we enjoyed being part of it. Thank you very much. So good morning and welcome to the first flight series. Um, we're really excited to have some great panelists on and we're really excited to see uh, a frightening number of people attend a webinar, um, particularly this early. So thank you everyone for turning up. Um, this is something, oh, I should introduce myself, but my name's Alex Bond. Um, I'm the MD of FinPro. Um, I'm also host of a podcast called the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. Um, FinPro, we are an executive search business that specializes in the insure tech market. Uh, we do that in Europe and the USA. Um, so talent is the thing that we focus on. Um, and most of the time we're talking about talent and communities and culture. Um, and I think when we were talking about those kind of concepts and then we were talking about the podcast, something that kept coming up was this constant disparity between the recurring theme of lack of female leadership in insurance um, and we thought that insuretech was this kind of new start it was this like fresh start to do things differently Um, we talk about startups all the time and it seems that the kind of problem of female leadership um, continues into the insuretech market and and the numbers just simply aren't representative now rarely in in my role in the recruitment industry am i in the position to tackle things head on um so when we are given the opportunity to do that then it's helpful if we can so we started to think about what can we actually proactively do um what we can do is we build networks that's literally my job so i build networks and potentially we can provide a platform for sort of productive and like empowering conversations and and that's why we started the flight series and that's what we're hoping to achieve today um, but nobody logged in to hear from me. So um, what I'd love to do is throw it out to our panellists um, and, and get them to introduce themselves. Um, Ines, if we could start with you, it'd be great to, for you to introduce yourself. Thank you, Alex. Um, so I'm Ines, I'm the COO of Gaia. We're an insure tech startup. We predict fertility treatment outcome and insure against the risk of not having a baby. 
And on top of that, we provide financing and support throughout the journey. Um, my background quickly is, as you can hear, I'm French, uh, studied science and math mainly, uh, but moved to business and started actually my career in venture capital. Uh, after that, I moved to operation on, like in, in the tech scale-ups, in logistics, like leading strategy and growth, and then actually started uh, kind of building Gaia two years ago. Um, so that's me. Thank you, Ines. And, um, and then moving on to um, uh, Caroline or, or Kaz, because we've got two Carolines today. So Kaz, it'd be great if you could introduce yourself. Uh, sure thing, Alex. So my name is uh, Kaz. Uh, I am the Chief Insurance Officer at Flock. Uh, Flock focuses on data-rich uh, motor fleet insurance, um, which is algorithmically priced. Um, it provides personalised and transparent prices um, to commercial customers. I have a 25 plus year career in insurance. Um, I've worked for large corporates, brokers, law firms, MGAs, and more recently, um, InsurTechs. And I'm really pleased to be chatting on this panel today. Brilliant, thank you. Um, and last but certainly no means least, um, our chair uh, and host for the day, um, Caroline, we're great to hear from you. Hi everyone, um, my name is Caroline Langridge. I'm Head of Underwriting Management for ACT at Aon. Um, I have had a 15 year career in the insurance industry, largely at in insurers, um, but increasingly varied. I have been involved in the insurtech um, sector in a variety of ways. So I've been a partner with insurtechs whilst working at incumbents. I've been an advisor for insurtechs and I've also been an employee. I'm passionate about gender equality in the insurance industry and supporting women to develop their careers in what is often a male-dominated environment. We have decided to centre today's discussion around the careers opportunities in InsurTech and specifically what opportunities the industry can offer to women to highlight the lack of gender representation that we are seeing in the sector. It comes as no surprise that there is a gender imbalance in insurance. And what we want to prevent is this trend being mirrored in InsurTech. InsurTech startups have the opportunity to provide a level playing field when it comes to gender representation, away from the archaic structure of its traditional counterpart, given how dynamic and forward-thinking their ethos is. Today, we will be discussing some of the misconceptions around the startup environment and why people should be interested in InsurTech as a sector as well as looking at the importance of networks and how we can utilize the relationships around us for success in these environments. Ultimately, we hope this webinar will be a platform to promote InsurTech as an inclusive and supportive environment to empower women to strive for gender equality. Right, should we get started? Um, let's start with Inez. So Inez, why should people be interested in InsurTech as a sector? Um, so I would say why should people be interested in insurance as a sector? Like insurance is actually a fascinating sector, mm -hmm. but interestingly, it does have a bad rep. When you think about it, insurance, it's mathematically kind of a social good, right? Everyone puts money in a big pot uh, and you use it to kind of cover for the less, um, the less lucky, right? And the reason why it has a bad rep is because of, you know, the lack of um, alignment. Like you don't feel aligned with your insurer, which like brings 
moral hazard and potentially fraud, etc. Like no one likes their insurer <laughs> if you ask for to a consumer. So there's an opportunity here, and with tech more, more importantly, to kind of recenter the product around the consumer and design for the consumer rather than for the profit or the policy. And this is what I can like kind of observe has happened in insurance, insure tech in general, but probably more on a UX kind of uh, side for now. So what we've seen is kind of a, a new, like the, the big kind of success story so far are the lemonade of this world is how do I digitalize insurance um, experience? So I buy in an easier way and like I deal with my claims in an easier way, et cetera. But there's an opportunity really to kind of redesign at a more like, like deeper level, the insurance products. If you think about it, like the core value add of like the core business of insurance is actually probability, statistics, it's game theory, right? And we have been like for the past 20 years kind of digging so much data on every single like events, every single product, and we predict really well the risk and predict everything really well. But this hasn't translated into insurance yet. It's fascinating, like every single new product in insurance right now is because of potentially new services that are coming out, like new scooters, right? Like in insurance for scooters or workers, et cetera, but nothing on like products that have always existed, like IVF typically, <laughs> that you predict better and you use this data to actually build a completely new insurance product. So just think about the potential we have in the future to actually change experiences of way you deal with experiences or consume products thanks to insurance is immense. And we're just at the very beginning. So far we've digitalized insurance and mm -hmm. there's so much potential to kind of use all the data there is to innovate in insurance. So that's why it's fascinating. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, like, and it's a really interesting point that kind of the investment in modernizing the sector has been around digitization. So ease of use rather than, rather than um, for want of a better word, meaning for the consumer. And one of the things that I love about what you guys are doing at Gaia is that it provides real meaning to the consumer. So you impact people's lives. And I think that the insurance industry really does impact people's lives, but because of the bad reputation that it has from a consumer perspective, that is never really built upon, I guess. Thank you, it's really insightful. Kaz, what's different about working in a startup environment um, and what should people be aware of, particularly if they're moving from an incumbent to a startup, which I know you have? I think the, the biggest difference is pace. Um, but, you know, we, we often refer ourselves as the speedboat rather than the, the, the you know, the, the oil tanker. Um, and having spent some time, this is my, this is my third, this is my third startup, second, um, second insure tech. And often as the person who's responsible for our capacity strategy, you are, and, and has been, um, you know, quite, you know, client facing with some large, you know, large corporate clients in a, you know, obviously in a previous life. You know, you're sort of sandwiched between these two big entities, um, and you're trying to move quickly, and they've got lots of, you know, lots of red tape. So I think the pace is probably the biggest difference, followed by culture. So 
um, in in, in InsureTech, I, I often get asked this question about what's different and, and, I've, I, and I've given it a lot of thought. And, and, and I think one, one way of answering was that when you're working in the incumbent sector, you're in, you're in your silo. It's got, you've got your swim lane or your allotment and that's where, you know, that's where, that's where you sit. And often when you're building products, um, when you're in the incumbents, you don't feel like you're building products as, a, as an underwriter, for example. You have your rating mechanism and then you're dealing with the IT department, as it's affectionately known in the incumbent world. And you pass what your requirements over the fence and, you know, and they pass it, they pass it back again. And often something gets lost in translation. If you were to take me and my team, my underwriting team, and place them in the sort of incumbent IT department and also throw marketing in there and, and sales and every other kind of function, then you, then you create a cross-functional team where you're all collaborating on the same, the same point. So there's no silent working. It's very, it's very transparent. There's a lot of tooling that enables things, but that also can create kind of a little bit of a brain explosion um, you know, when, you're, when you're new. And there's a lot of sharing of information. I think when you work in large organizations, I think people can be quite protective of their, of their knowledge in case that means you know, that undermines them in some way. Um, whereas in a, in a startup, you know, you want to share what you know to aid the people around you to enable them to, you know, to move faster. And I think the third thing is mindset. So, you know, in, 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 in InsureTech and any startup, you know, you get shares, you get, you know, share options. And so it, it tends to make you more mission driven. So, you know, you, you want the company to succeed. So it's not, it's, it's not self-serving, you know, you're, your your advancement and your knowledge growth is kind of a byproduct of the mission of the mission that you're on, um, and that's a very different mindset than when you're a cog in a very big wheel in your own little swim lane. I'd say are the are the key things that are that are different. I couldn't agree more with all of that. I mean, kind of you know, I've I've worked in InsureTech once, and kind of culturally it was it was very different, but very fun, and it kind of um, I found the. The lack of silo really disarming initially because I kept looking over my shoulder, hoping that someone from compliance would correct me. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, oh I'm compliance too. Um, <laughs> it's also really liberating because you're like, wow, look at all these things that, that you can do really quickly. Yeah. And like adding to what I call your toolkit. So, you know, you move away from, I mean, I started my career in claims and that was my allotment, that was my little swim lane. And then over time, I joined, I was fortunate enough to join a number of different companies. And when I joined Flock, I was responsible for, you know, finance, pay, you know, people, operations, insurance, and yeah. a smorgasbord of lots of things. And it's only because of the career choices I'd made working in all of these different organizations and kind of collecting skills. Yeah. Um, and yeah, some people want to be, and like it comes with time as the company grows, you need to have more deep expertise, but because the foundation is all about collaboration, you know, you're more, you know, you've gathered those skills and then you, and I'm now at a point where I'm kind of diving back into my kind of, you know, my superpowers in terms of the areas I cover as treating insurance yeah. officer. But you don't forget those things that you that you've learned, and you can use them again to make you more impactful in conversation. Um, particularly when you start to get to a senior level, and you've got to kind of have your eye on on lots of things to be able to contribute effectively. For sure, it gives you it gives you huge breadth. You know? mm. yeah. And Alex, what do you think the biggest misconception is in insurtech about working in insurtech? 
think um I think there's quite a few and and and, and I thought about this this question quite a lot and and I think the the biggest one touches on on the, the piece that you've just been talking about which is that you know I have a lot of conversations with people that are interested in sure tech but they're like I'm not a tech person um whatever a tech person's supposed to look like you know that and and the important thing to sort of remember is I suppose twofold firstly that insure tech's such a broad term um and it means for me it's everything from the kind of neo insurers um that we see in the lemonades all the way through to kind of really niche like SaaS propositions. Um, and within that, there's different kind of requirements for levels of people with insurance knowledge. So um, firstly, it's kind of, there's probably an insure tech out there for everyone. If you're working in insurance now, there's probably an insure tech that needs you. Um, I suppose the other thing is that it's not an either or that's the other thing people feel like they're going to jump the fence and they will no longer be welcome back to the insurance industry you know you sort of you're working in insure tech and never shall return and um caroline obviously you're someone that that can prove that that's absolutely not the case now i don't think you should make that leap thinking that you will leave any company but you pick up new skills along the way um, and and that's hugely beneficial if you go back into the what what we would term the more sort of traditional incumbent industry. So certainly not an either or either. Um, you know what people are looking for is is people that can work in dynamic environments. So that's you know the thing that Kaz touched on is that it is a faster pace. You know you won't have as much resource. Um, and and sort of leading into that, I think the other misconception that people kind of probably need to understand is their value. Um, now, insurance knowledge is hugely valuable inside an insure tech. Um, you know, Kaz just spoke on it there. You know, you sort of go in and, and the, but the problem is you go in and you might be the insurance person, which by default means you are the person everyone turns to for everything insurance related. So it doesn't matter if you work in claims, if there is an underwriting or a rating conversation, you're the person they look to. So I think your value is can be inflated in that environment because they need you but at the same time you you have to have a very kind of honest opinion of yourself going right I know where my limitations are I know I need to build skills so when you get there you you have to proactively build skills and sometimes where I get a misconception is where the value that you have to the insurance market in your very hyper specialist role because we love siloing people in insurance so you're a hyper-specialized underwriter that works on, you know, this niche class of business. That value is not always reciprocated in an insure tech. You know, you might go into an insure tech and, and you have that initial burst of value because you're joining a neo-insurer that needs your specific knowledge base on some niche aviation class. But once that's built into the model, once that's gone into the machine, a lot of the time you need to find other things for you to do and other things for you to add value. So, um, most of them are about the misconceptions are about what is your value in insurance doesn't follow to be your value in insure tech. And almost to a certain extent, you need to find your new value in insure tech and where you can add the add value as a, as a, as an employee in a more rounded way than the siloed way you do in insurance. Makes total sense. And, and it's very true. <laughs> um, Oh, it's me to ask a question, isn't it? That's, that's, that's why there's a slight pause. Uh, <laughs> so Caroline's question for you. Um, it's sort of touching on 
kind of what, what I suppose I just said. It's like, how does one go about demonstrating like broad skill sets? So I think the first step in demonstrating broad skill sets is recognizing your skill sets. And I think particularly when you come from an incumbent background um, and you're often in quite siloed um, job roles, it's really hard to recognize the breadth that you, you have and that your experience can bring to the InsureTech world. Uh, I, it is extremely extensive and obviously it depends on the stage of the organization that you're joining but it's very likely that from an incumbent you'll bring a plethora of skills that sit outside of your technical skill so for example like Kaz I started my background in claims which is a very good technical grounding area in the insurance industry and it gives you really strong um, kind of technical competence I suppose which is um, very helpful coming into the insure tech world so that looks like my core skill, for example. But in the roles that I did in claims, I also learned about, about leadership. I learned about, about people development. I learned about technology because I was utilizing technology platforms um, in claims. And then I was leading teams that were looking at technology transformations and technology platforms. And um, I learned hugely about um, organizational infrastructure and that is often that sounds so boring I'm conscious of that <laughs> like, um, but that is often something that startups particularly at the very early stage is the gap for them so kind of you know either they don't have a lot of experience from the corporate world which you know really does excel in that kind of organizational infrastructure piece um, or they are culturally trying to reconcile something that seems kind of a bit counterculture with how you actually just run your operation, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that there are so many skills that sit inside a, um, you know, a, a incumbent job role that don't appear to be part of your core job, but that actually can add really extensive value to an early stage organization and sometimes that early stage organization doesn't even recognize the value that can be brought from the experience that that person has and um, so what's really key is people to be able to break down the, the skills that they have um, uh, and take it outside of their core job role does that make sense yeah absolutely um yeah, I mean, something I was thinking of as well is that to a certain extent, um, something I see is that that I call it the kind of uh, I call it this sort of the, the, the finance officer problem. Right. So I, I run a small business. Um, I'm not a finance professional, um, but I need a finance professional to run my accounts. Yeah. I actually don't know how to hire or interview, you know, to, to a certain extent. I, I don't know what a good finance officer looks like in the context of my business. Um, so how do you employ one? And 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 the shoe is on, on, on the other foot for the insure tech is that if it's a tech driven business that's that's got tech founders, 
they're not necessarily sure what they're looking for in an insurance professional. So they're also not necessarily sure what they bring to the table. And if you want evidence of this, just go and look at some of the job specs, which are absolutely wild occasionally. You know, like, <laughs> I want 10 years underwriting experience, but you must be a qualified yeah. actuary. You should have worked in claims. <laughs> And, and, just don't and know just, what we don't know, basically. That's exactly, you don't know what you don't know, right? And, and so and, every and, time, every time you think you you figured it out, and then you receive an email from the insurer, it's like, oh, and like this conduct topic, and you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and so having someone that has experience in insurance can like proactively think about what is coming. Um, so yeah, we don't know what we don't know, and that's like number one kind of rule, mm-hmm. like to be aware of that. And I think like the key to overcoming that, and I, I call it the language barrier, and you see it in loads of different ways. You see it when um, people with an insurance background are talking about roles with insurtechs. You see it when insurtechs are talking to insurers about capacity or um, providing services. There's just a language barrier, and insurers don't really understand the kind of tech kind of side and the insurtech side don't really understand kind of the complexities I guess of an incumbent insurer and the only way to overcome that is to be really really clear in your communication and to explain things that you would thought think don't need explaining so you know like I've got extensive leadership skills from doing X, Y, and Z, and, you know, organizational skills from doing X, Y, and Z. So it all comes back to communication, but it is really tricky. And I see it in lots of different walks. Mm. Um, Ines, so you have a much cooler background than ours, right? So what's it like? What's it like coming from a tech background and not having an insurance bag background and moving into the insurance sector? What's your experience with it? It is wild. <laughs> I have to say, like, it's, it's funny you mentioned vocabulary. Um, I, I like we joke about it today because like I'm your I, I kind of have been in the past year and a half, like, your insurance person <laughs> within Gaia, which is yeah. hilarious given my zero knowledge of insurance. And a year and a half ago, I actually did not know what a premium was. I literally sat down with Snatter this year. I was like, so what is a premium? <laughs> what is the loss ratio, right? Um, and you you actually learn pretty fast, at least the, the strategic part of it, the math of it and everything. Um, and I think actually at the very early days of a company that is trying to innovate in insurance, it is valuable not to have insurance background in the sense that you don't think with your silos. Like if I had the insurance background, I know now because I've been working with so many insurers now, I know now that I would have abandoned at least like 20 times, right? Because oof, vulnerable consumer, oof, like your premium cost, like premium is so expensive or like, I don't know, new risk, like no one would <laughs> ever like consider that, right? But because the math worked and because we're helping solving a big problem and people want to buy this product, I was like, it's going to happen. Like there is no other way it's going to happen. And let me convince you of this. And so actually starting first principle and being convinced of whatever problem you're solving, rather than being like, I'm building an insurance product. I was like, let's solve this problem and insurance can help. Then it worked. It took 
it took time in our world at least <laughs> in the tech world it's like long but apparently like i keep being reminded by insurers that it's it was actually quick to to build this product um and it was uh, can you hear me yeah you pause okay, okay. sorry <laughs> i think it was very valuable not to not to know much about insurance and go for its uh, first principle but as you scale and as you need to kind of structure like be like it's okay to be like it's gonna work but at some point there is a regulation behind this and you have to like uh, surround yourself with with better people and people that actually know a lot about how th this world work um but yeah it's been a wide ride i would say yeah but, uh, like i think i love that like it's an intellectual challenge right and kind of you don't have to have the experience to inform that intellectual challenge um yeah, um, I have to say also like the the we we were lucky enough, and I think I hope that in the insurance uh, market, insure tech pro, uh, market in general, it's going to be generalized uh, a bit more. But we were we were lucky enough to be part of this accelerator called the Lloyd's Lab, mm -hmm. where we had like time with um, like very like very well, like the right person at every single insurance company you want to work with that is open to have this conversation that has a time slot for you every week and is like, okay, let us discuss that. Otherwise, if you go like a sales pitch and let me sell you this product and I don't know what, what data I'm going to share with you or do I tell this person this or not here, it was like very open. We had time, we took months, but it, it worked in this way because they were open to innovation. It was the right person that can go and tap into all the, the right people in their organization. And so I, I hope that as insurance companies, because it's very hard to innovate in insurance if you don't work with insurer, right? Um, as insurance company, as they consider doing innovation, will do more of this, of like just like being very open with whoever are the different, um, uh, like the different companies they want to work with. Yeah, I, I'm a huge advocate of Lloyd's Lab and it's, it's great that you guys had such a good experience from it. And like for most insurtechs, it is quite daunting, you know, as, as, as Ines was saying, it's like they're, they're huge, they're huge machines and they have huge departments that are all siloed yeah. across multiple different offices yeah. in geographical locations. And as an insurtech trying to, without that experience or knowledge of how it all works or without those connections, it's really hard to, it is really hard to get to speak to, you know, speak to the right person. They've all got innovation hubs or labs or committees or, you know, folks that are, you know, employed to go out and check out what the insurtechs are doing, mm -hmm. but they have no decision-making power. So you can spend a lot of time talking to them and then still not be, you know, off of like, you know, your, your bus is not yet, you know, not, your bus is not yet running because you haven't, you haven't, you haven't yet found the, you haven't yet found the, found the right person. Yeah. Getting to the right person is key. Mm. Yeah. And um, slight change of tack. So Kaz Flock is going great guns. It's such a cool business. And I know that you've grown a lot in terms of size over the past kind of six months. Um, where have you found it hardest to recruit people? That's a that's a great question. Um, and to give uh, everybody on the call some context around our growth, when I joined Flock 18 months ago, I think I was employee 17. Um, and we stayed around, you know, the 20 number till sort of the, the middle of last middle of last year. And then so were you the first insurance person? <laughs> 
I don't think I was the first insurance person, but I was the I was the first with the most amount of experience. There was somebody that was there before 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 me, but their experience was was quite different. It was in the reinsurance market, whereas I'm more on the MGA insurance on the insurance side. So I, I felt the value, as, as others have said, as soon as I, you know, as, as soon as I arrived. Um, but we're now at, I think we're about to hit 40 uh, headcount. And actually most of that hiring happened in the last quarter of, 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 of last of, of, of last year. And, and hiring for a startup is generally um, challenging as we're looking for specific characteristics. So, you know, in, a, in an incumbent kind of the underwriting team who are making all the money and, uh, uh, you know, are not considered the cost center are kind of the, you know, the big dogs, you know, they're kind of running the show. And that's not quite the way of things in an insure tech, as I explained, um, uh, uh, you know, at the start. So, you know, we're looking for those specific characteristics and mindset. So despite there being really good people out there, we need to make sure that these these that anybody that joins the company is the right the right fit. And I've seen it in previous roles where, you know, we haven't taken time on hiring, and you know, we have created, um, you know, for an environment that's not supposed to be political. In previous lives, I've seen it. I've you know, I've seen how it can go how it can go very wrong. And you know, we're not looking for unicorns, but given our pace, if we hire badly. You know, we will have a far bigger impact than an incumbent who can kind of absorb, you know, a missing, you know, a missing role or having to, you know, rehire, you know, rehire again. So, you know, you are looking for people who are mission driven. You are looking people for people who are, you know, who are curious um, and creative and, um, you know, willing to, you know, willing to roll their sleeves up. And if I think about you know, you know, tech is, you know, it's hard tiring in tech in the, for our software engineers, etc. It's hard for everyone. Um, but so is, you know, so are the insurance roles, you know, and, you know, most people within insurance, you know, working in the insurance industries, they're very generous with their packages um, and their salaries. You know, you come into a startup and they're like, you know, I want an X percentage non-contributory pension. And you're like, we give you shares and that might be worth more than your pension. And they, you know, it's hard to get people to kind of make that, you know, make that, make that transition. And there, you know, you're also having to find people that are adaptable and don't want to, you know, don't want to work in silos and keep all their information and their secret source to themselves. Um, and, and looking for that, you know, looking, you know, looking for that self-serving, you know, self-serving, you know, self-serving prophecy. So, I think it's hard in every in 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 every area of our of our business, and we do take time for hiring. And um, our CEO Ed, I'm sure he will laugh now that I'm completely converted in terms of the process that we follow. Whereas, you know, if I see somebody that I you know that I like and I want to hire, you know, I'm very keen to get them in in you know in the door quickly. And joining a joining a startup was my first introduction to an exercise. I mean, personally, I'd never done an exercise before. I'd been through an interview process and been and and, and been hired. And so, you know, I'm there going, do we have to do an exercise for every role we're hiring, even at like junior level? And actually, you know, the whiteboard exercises we now we now carry out, you know, stop me hire, you know, stop those hiring mistakes. So I think there's a lot around 
you know, the process. And if Ed is on this call, I think he was joining, it will be music to his ears and he's probably thinking, I told you so. Um, you will love it. Um, but it's, a, you know, it, it, it pulls out, you're able to test for their create creativity and their, their mindset more so than you can from, you know, conversation. And it also removes those biases you might have. You're more likely to hire somebody who, you can make, um, uh, you know, an immediate connection um, with. And being um, neurodiverse, I have a very high EQ. I'm very, um, I make connections very, very quickly because of that, uh, be because of that superpower. And so when you do that in an interview, it's quite easy to make those, you know, make those, make those mistakes. So I think what I'm saying in summary is that it's hard in all areas. You have to be really careful with your recruitment process. And as somebody wanting to come into the industry, don't be put off by that because actually what we're testing you for is going to be within your, you know, within, within your toolkit, as I described it earlier, it's your opportunity to showcase and really like set out there what your, you know, those skills that perhaps you hadn't even thought you thought you had. Right. Um, so, Alex, I guess intrinsically linked to that, mm. how do you identify who and what you're looking for when you start a search for a startup? This is the this is the magic question, isn't it? It's the <laughs> it's the one in my job I should probably know the answer to. But I think um, I I think I was the way I was thinking about this is is very much about how people think about how they present themselves to to potential new employers. So. A resume or a CV um, is, a, is a marketing document. Like, that's what it is. Like, it is a marketing document, much in the same way that, that a, a, a job advertisement is, is an advert, which a lot of, a lot of companies forget. You know, jump, uh, companies love putting job specs out and saying, oh, that's the job advert. It's not a job advert. That's a list of your requirements. An advert would make it a sort of selling proposition to someone. And you've got to think about that when you're putting together your your CV or your resume, um, because how you would structure it for an insurer is very, very different to how you want to structure it for an insure tech. So the simplest possible way to look at that, that is uh, um, we all started in claims, actually, because I used to work in claims as well. So, right, and, and I used to recruit in claims a lot. So when you're writing a claim CV, all I really want to know is what class of business do you focus on? What's the average size of the claim you deal with? What is your claims authority? In what geographies? Everything other than that is really superfluous to the conversation because that's what I want to know because I want to take you from one siloed business and stick you into another siloed role. Now, your yeah. role and, or, or my role in the recruitment context is saying, okay, that's what you did in the claims, but what else did you do? You know, what, what other things did you get involved with? You know, what initiatives were you part of? What projects did you take part of? What, like, who, how many people did you manage? How many people did you mentor? Um, and to that extent, you know, this is where we talk, start to talk about this phrase of like portfolio careers. Um, you know, careers are not what they were. We've, all, we've widely acknowledged that, you know, we don't have people like my father worked at the same company for like 45 years um, from, from 16 um you know that doesn't happen anymore we acknowledge we acknowledge now that if we get five years out of someone that's phenomenal if we get three we're doing well um so we're already happy with that every time that you have the opportunity to kind of get involved in an initiative that is what i would kind of urge people to do so if you've got 
a proactive foresight is to say if there's a project you can get involved with get involved in it if there's a uh, if there's an innovation team as, as as Kaz was saying like most companies have an innovation team can you get some time with them can you be part of it can you participate in events because when you come to write that resume if the only thing you've got to say is I manage property claims in North America with this sort of um, authority, then you you are limiting the value that you add to an insure tech. So identifying people is pulling out those bits that you have got involved, with, which which make you different or make you valuable. So as you were saying, Caroline, you were a manager. So you had to, you've got skills in management. You were involved in kind of some tech sort of implementation. So that that goes down there as well. Um, and it's more about reframing who is your audience? You know, who's the new audience, this InsureTech audience that you're sending it for? Um, and the thing that people hate to, hate and, and, and get very upset about is that you have to realise that every single InsureTech you send this to is going to want slightly different things from you. And yes, that might mean you have to write your resume every single time if you really proactively want the role because... The person on that that the other side of the fence is, is wants different things from different people, um, and the cheat and 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 the last thing I'd say is that the cheat to kind of how they want to see that is that if you're applying for a role, the person that wrote the job spec or the advert is the person that's probably hiring for that role. Mm. So you look at their language, like what are the things that they're hitting on that job spec what are the things they're advertising that they really need and how can you demonstrate that in your career and i promise you it's probably not going to be your claims authority it's mm. probably going to be all the other things you did so it's it's about reframing how you look at your own career and and thinking about right what what does this person what does this insure tech specifically need from me and i think for if we take this back to kind of the the female lens i think as females we are we're not great at sort of we'll look at that kind of role spec and be like okay well I can do those four things but I can't do those other three so I'm not going to I'm not that job's not for me yeah um and I think you know you know supporting females in you know as as you know as a, as a recruiter from from your standpoint um Alex um and other you know female leaders in the in, in the industry is kind of helping them to kind of bring that out and you know taking a step back and saying you know in, in in whatever walk of life whether that's you know what you're doing in your personal life or in your in your in your work life you know where are those where are those skills within your in your toolkit and you're right, you know, uh, you know, with some roles, uh, particularly in the early stages of startup, you will sort of, you know, kitchen sink, as I like to call it, in terms of like the requirements of the of the of the jobs. <laughs> but <clears throat> realistically, what we're what we're looking for at that stage is we're not looking for somebody who's going to tick all of those boxes. Mm -hmm. But there are, if you do some research around the insure tech and actually at what stage they're at. Um, in terms of what you know what they might need in terms of skills and try to match to you know match to that if you're creative curious and have got the right mindset <clears throat> and you know willing to learn that goes a long way rather than ticking all the box on, boxes on a on you know on a cv and That's i would say focus further on the company's values and how they work and would yeah. i like working with these people and like what comes out of whatever i read online about the companies and the specs Mm. Like if you have insurance background, you already know much more than 
<laughs> this company is open. Like at least when it's early stage, I would say seed to series B, mm. um, just go for it um, and look at, at the company rather than the specs. And like, it's a, a good point on women. Like we, we used to add to our job desk at the end, always like this Harvard's um, review and like research that was showing that women, like usually if they have less than 70% of the skills, they would not apply while a man would do it at 20% which is insane to me so like we always push like if you're like mind your biases it's just like apply like it takes nothing just apply just yeah. go for it. what have you got to lose that yeah. is um yeah I, I did a talk on uh on this once and and it and it was I think it's like men it is is something like 40 and and women's like it's, I think it's higher than 70 so yeah. you know the 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 important point I think to focus on there is that for any people that are potentially hiring out there this is why I'm so I've been on this like campaign about um adverts for so long because it's like put on if you're hiring and you're using an advert Put the the least amount of it things that you need on there. Like talk about the job, sell the job, and yes, that means that you're going to have a more open door policy, and you're probably going to have more people applying, and going to have more things to wade through. But if one thing that we can do to support, if we if we know that statistically that is something that happens, it's like women are less likely to apply. Then stop putting so many requirements on there because what you end up doing is you put a job out outwards is actually your your wish list of this type unicorn candidate that we acknowledge probably doesn't exist and we usually are always compromising there's always something we don't get so i'm always like only put your must-haves and then everything else like you know you want to have an open door for the weird and wonderful people that that might apply and then i think cancer's point was so important is that actually the opportunities for me the earlier stage, the earlier you get into an insure tech, the more open-minded they <laughs> are. So, um, yeah, I'd encourage lots of people to, obviously, you know, you need some good funding behind them, but seed, series A, series B is, is, is where the real opportunities are. Agreed. Um, moving on slightly. So in this sector, CAS, how important do you think networks and relationships are um, to be successful, I guess, in the insure tech environment? Hugely. I mean, I always say that, you know, you're only as good as your address book um, because, you know, no one can know everything. I mean, you know, I'm the chief insurance officer at Flock. Um, at risk, I was a board director, but you just can't know everything about everything. There'll always be a random question coming up in whatever walk of life um, you're in at whatever company, whether that be an incumbent or an insure tech. But it is more prevalent in, a, you know, in an insure tech, particularly at, you know, pre-A, um, pre-A round where you're not, you know, at, at Flock now we're looking for those and um, we're still on the hiring, uh, hiring machine. Um, but, you know, we're looking for those now with, you know, deeper expertise in their, you know, in their field as opposed to, you know, um, a broader, a broader skill set. But, you know, you could be asked a question about anything um, in, a, in, a, in a previous life. Uh, we had two trading entities, one regulated, one not, and I had to figure out how we would become VAT registered and whether or not the regulated entity could or could not recover VAT. Um, <laughs> and I was like, not done that before, That's but I'm question, and I love to it in your arms. <laughs> help me with that one. Um, that's, that's now in my toolkit. Um, yeah, you know, you. <laughs> <laughs> connect after. But you know, and I the thing for me is 
you know, I, I, you know, I have dyslexia and dyslexic brains, you know, have challenges around processing, but they, they, their comprehension is off the scale. So, you know, it's, it's a bit of a TARDIS in there in terms of information and I crave information and my brain is constantly like, reading stuff and learning stuff and so I love learning new skills and so to have the opportunity to find that out and whether or not I'd ever use it again I didn't think I would but I'm quite pleased Ines that you know I'm going to be able to share that information with you <laughs> um and so um you know and and, and my, one of my first things I had to do when I joined um when I joined Flock you know the whole subject of Brexit we had um, we have business in, in, in Europe and I had to work with a third party in order to create our Brexit solution so that we could continue to trade, you know, in Europe. Again, something I'd not done. And I think if you've got that sort of, I think my parents always said to me that, you know, there's no such word as can't, they used to say. And so, you know, then I'd be like, so, you know, okay, I cannot. Um, but, you know, what they would encourage me to do is to kind of be self-serving and, and, and you know, and learn. Um, and I think, you know, if you've got some inner belief and I think the more when you're given an opportunity to go off and like figure something out for yourself, when you actually there are points in it when you're just like head in your hands going, I can't do this, depending on the complexity. But then when you get to the end and you look back at what you've achieved, you get such a big kind of tick inside you that actually it drives you to want to do it again. So I've only been a successful, um, you know, it's been a combination of you know, skill, curiosity, and, you know, and good luck um, in terms of getting me where, you know, I've, I've got to um, today. And I'm very grateful for the fact that I still get the opportunity to, to, to learn in the way, in the way that I do every day. I love that. I love you're only as good as your address book. Um, I think that's great. And I think that you can build that address book though. Like it's not, don't, don't feel bad to all the women here. If you don't have an address book, the question is more like go and ask, like you don't need to know everything. Totally agree that like you can build that address book at any stage in your career and kind of the big switch from being at a big organization to going to a startup is that in a big organization, your address book is internal. You know your compliance team, you know your finance team, you know your HR team, and you can get help from all those people internally. And when you're at a startup, your address book's external, largely, like, uh, and certainly at first. So you have to go outside of the organization to get that help. But kind of the thing that I loved about it was that people really want to help. Oh. They're up for it. Like, you know, it kind of, it like, you know, everyone likes to be asked to be involved and it loves to use their expertise. So kind of, it's amazing how much you can rely on your external address book. But yeah, I love that, Kaz, thank and, you. And you, and, and like just knowing somebody that, you know, that's been around the block for a number of years, they're bound to have of something. And it's not, they may not know, but they'll know somebody that knows somebody. And then exactly. it's these connections that you make, whether it be at, and like speaking openly about your challenges and your problems. Yeah. You know, I mentioned VAT and Innes has already jumped on and said, ah, I've got that, you know, I've got that problem. So, you know, there, you just need to be more vocal about. And I think also um, a, another female trait is that we feel like we have to solve all the problems right. ourselves. Um, and, you know, we, we do find it hard to, 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 to ask for help because, you know, that's in our sort of, you know, chemical makeup. But, 
you know, I think, like you say, um, Caroline, there are a lot of people out there that are just, you know, more than happy to make those connections and share their, you know, and share and share their information. And I've even seen on LinkedIn more recently, people saying, I need help with this. Can somebody introduce me? And which if is great. Somebody, which is great. And that's what we should be, you know, LinkedIn's a great tool, but it's also can be a bit of a pain in the bum. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, if we can use that, that, that tool for for more of that I think you know there should be no shame in you putting your hand up and saying does anybody know anything about this subject matter because I could do with some help couldn't agree more and slight shift Nez but how helpful do you think the term insurtech is Hmm. um I think I'm gonna give you a French answer (laughs) (laughs) like it is and it isn't (laughs) it isn't help like it isn't let's start with the positive right uh it's it is helpful because you have in insurance there are many things i think the thing that makes it so unique is kind of the regulation part of it uh if you actually strip down everything everything can be reinvented but like the regulator the regulator right and there are processes there are things you need to do um that are absolutely necessary and this makes it very important to, like it's kind of unify the skills around insurance that are key, which is like compliance and, and regulation and conduct, et cetera, all the, 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 the things that are specific to it. So it is helpful in some way to understand insurance market and like to kind of, um, to say like, I'm an, insure, I'm an insure tech because I have all these things that are required from me. But at the same time, it is not really helpful. It's like health tech. Like when you think about it, like you can be a health tech company if you do a booking system for a doctor or if you create a new protein for medicine or if you do a medical device (coughs) for sleep apnea, right? Like these are all health tech. Is it helpful? It's absolutely not. Like you don't have like insurance, insure tech can be a software as a service for insurer, but or Gaia, which is basically helping families have babies <laughs> but as a, so like it, it is and it isn't um I think it's helpful for career shift in the sense that I always recommend people never to move both of like your skill sets and the industry like choose one or the other so if you're in marketing um in health industry then keep the health and change do sales but don't do like move both vertical and industry, right? So insurance, if you work in insurance um, industry and you you want to explore kind of the tech industry, insure tech might be helpful in that way. Um, otherwise, we're all solving a problem. Like we're not an insure tech startup. We're solving a problem that parents have typically for us. Yeah, yeah I think that's very true. I think it's very true. Yeah, I think that's such an important point is that... Um... Yeah, because I, I find that the term unhelpful. Um, and mm. I'm someone that says, you know, I'm an insure tech like specialist recruiter. But within that, it's just a very simple way of explaining. I find insurance people to go and work for technology businesses. You know, predominantly, I'm actually working for technology businesses. It's just they happen to operate in the insurance environment. Um, but they're all, to Innes's point, like solving different different. But, you know, even even technology businesses don't mean anything anymore. Everyone using oh. like <laughs> and websites and like you can't sell with a broker anymore. Sorry <laughs> if I'm yeah. shocking anyone, but like it's changed, right? So everyone's a tech business. Like, so it's it's more like, what do you want to solve? 
who do you want to work with and is it complex enough for you that's these are the questions rather than i want to work in health tech mm. Mm. Yeah. um thanks Inez. um caroline a, a sort of final question for you really um we've we've discussed throughout and, and we're often discussing the kind of need to be adaptable um but is that narrative like inaccessible? And, and really, I suppose what we're asking is, like, does that impact women more? Um, so I guess it depends on your definition of adaptable. And I think, you know, we've spoken about job specs and, and we've also kind of referenced kind of um, women's approach to determining whether they're the right fit for a job against men's approach to determining whether they're right fit for a job. And I think... At a high level, without some explanation, adaptable probably is unhelpful um, because one, it really doesn't have any meaning, but attached to it, it has assumed meaning. So, you know, kind of, kind of like I might assume from adaptable on a, a job spec that they want people to surrender their lives, their work-life balance and work an 80-hour week because that's adaptable, right? Like that wasn't my personal experience of InsureTech, but that's something that can be assumed by that. So I think generally um, to ensure that you are recruiting as diversely as you possibly can, you need to be quite definitive in your job specs and kind of... Um, you have to be really careful around adjectives like adaptable that have very limited meaning um, because you could take any meaning you wanted from adaptable, couldn't you? Um, saying that, so I definitely think that there are really unhelpful parts of that. It is important that you recognize in yourself, if you're moving from an incumbent to a startup, that that culture will be different. And you need to recognize in yourself whether or not that's something that you're open to, whether you're open to a change in culture. And to do that, you must kind of trust your instincts through the process. So I think Inez referenced it, but kind of, you know, you it's so easy and I think particularly women are go through recruitment processes trying to match the requirements that are outlined to them but it is important that you do it the other way around as well so that like do you like these people do you feel like that you could work together do you agree with the organization's values and all of those things you really have to hang on to throughout the process. I think that's really, really important. And like, if you were to add like a neurodiversity lens to that as well, I mean, coming from, you know, coming from that spectrum, you know, we, we, we say, so, you know, some, some people on the, on the spectrum will struggle with being able to read between the lines. Yeah. And absolutely. so, and so, you know, you put a word like adaptable or, you know, the fluffy words, I call them in front of me. And I'm like, you know, Google is my friend. It's like, well, what does that, <laughs> what does that mean exactly what are you what do you, you know what are you looking for I'm, I'm I'm better with like you know more you know more specific and less fluffy words you know as I as I call it so if you've got you know females and neurodiversity I think you've got there, there, there's you're, you're also kind of really reducing your you, you know your your, your pond mm -hmm. that's, that's something we see in recruitment all the time um 
you know, we have that, you have that classic terrible feedback is to saying, oh, they're just not the right fit or they're not, we don't think they're dynamic or we don't think they're adaptable enough. And these kind of words that have, it's not they have zero meaning, it's just they mean completely subjective things yeah. to each person. So, you know, I think it's, I think when we're, we're flipping on to the sort of hiring company, is to be really sort of specific about what you want and what you need and, and how you expect people to demonstrate that. And the onus is on you, is, is, is on you to create an environment for people to be able to sort of demonstrate that. And like, for example, everyone hates competency-based interview questions because everyone thinks it's below them or, or like Kaz, to your point, like the sort of whiteboard exercises. You know, we sort of, particularly in insurance, we love the kind of, yeah, people love meeting down the lamb and <laughs> getting a job in Leadenhall Market and, um, you know, or having really kind of brief interview questions because they're, they're a big name. And and it's not about that. It's about creating the environment for people to be able to demonstrate their skill sets. And and I think fluffy words, Gaz, is perfect because I, I so avoid them because um, you can go into meetings and I come out and I go, it's my job to know what people look for. And I come out of this briefing and I think, I don't actually know what they want. Like, like, I don't know what they want. They want an adaptable, changeable, dynamic human being. I'm like, what's that? You know, I so that, I think that often comes from, you know, potentially the hiring manager or the person who's or the company not knowing what they want. So they're firing off these kind of, you know, fluffy buzzwords. But actually, you need to get to the nub of it. And to your point about you know, I was thinking about this this question and, and, and accessibility and going back to that whiteboard exercise, you know, I'll have a very short conversation with, you know, I'll look at the I'll look at the CV and, you know, at the stage I'm hiring for now, I'm looking for, for, for people with that deep expertise. So if somebody says I've got, you know, five years experience in compliance or underwriting or claims, I kind of take that as read that you can kind of do the job. Now it's about like, can we work together? Are we going to be a good fit? And drawing out those those other skills, those softer skills that we are, you know, that we are looking for. And I think the whiteboard exercise does remove those unconscious biases. It gives both men and women an equal chance um, to, you know, to, you know, to do well and play to their strengths in that. You know, it really does level the level the playing field. And I never thought I'd say that. Mm, mm. Look, um, we were going to leave some time for Q&As, but we haven't. So um, I'm, I'm really conscious that we want to let everyone get to work uh, if they are. So um, I wanted to say a massive, huge thank you to all of you. Um, Caroline, particularly for, for being brave enough to chair this conversation and, and put this together. But Kaz and Ines, thank you so much for taking part of it. I really appreciate it. Um, and, and look, we want to continue these. And for anyone that's kind of listening in, um, you know, we will try and hold in in-person events we wanted to do this in person um i know it kind of limits the amount of people that can come but we will try and get them in london because it would be nice to see people face to face but we will continue to do webinars and if there's any feedback or if anyone has any kind of topics that they think are specific to this conversation uh, about female leaders in insurance technology then we'd love to hear from you so um but yeah thank you again everyone for being part of the panel um and anyone that's uh, tuned in it's, it's fantastic to have you so thank you so much 
As always, this podcast is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, often simply known as FinPro. FinPro is an executive recruitment business working in the insurance and insure tech space on an international basis. If you would like to find out more about FinPro, please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com or our FinPro company page on LinkedIn. I've been your host, Alex Bond, and I would personally love to connect with anyone who is interested in the changing world of insurance. So feel free to reach out to me directly, um, either on LinkedIn or via my email, uh, alex at wearefinpro.com. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and I hope to see you back next week. Thank you.